Thanks for joining us this week, and welcome to Mutuality Matters, a weekly podcast hosted by CBE International, where our mission is to promote the biblical message that God calls women and men of all cultures, races, and classes to share authority equally in service and leadership in the home, church, and work. Enjoying the podcast? Let us know. Send a recording or written testimonial to podcast at cbeinternational.org of why Mutuality Matters matters to you, and we may feature you on an upcoming episode. The opinions expressed in CBE's Mutuality Matters podcast are those of its hosts and guests and do not purport to reflect the opinions or views of CBE International or its members or chapters worldwide. The designations employed in this podcast and the presentation of content therein do not imply the expression of any opinion whatsoever on the part of CBE concerning the legal status of any country, area, or territory, or of its authorities, or concerning the delimitation of its frontiers. Let's get into this week's episode. Hello, everyone. You are listening to CBE's podcast, Mutuality Matters. This week, the Global Impact Team, Mimi Haddad and Kimberly Dixon, will look again at the impact of egalitarian theology on human flourishing from leaders serving around the world. We want you to be encouraged by egalitarian theology and its life-saving work from colleagues such as our dear guest that we are honored to welcome to you today, Dr. Beth Birmingham. She's a dear friend, an author, a speaker, and chief facilitator for the Christian Alliance for Inclusive Development. As a previous full-time professor at Eastern University, Beth has spent 25 years developing leaders for and serving in global development organizations, work that has taken her to over 30 countries. She is the co-author of Creating Cultures of Belonging, Cultivating Organizations Where Women and Men Thrive. And the past, she's been noted in past publications on NGO partnerships, including Shared Strength, Compassion Press 2010. Beth is a member of the Wheaton Consortium for Development, Gender, and Christianity. She holds a PhD in leadership and change from Antioch University and an MBA on international economic development from Eastern University. Welcome, Beth. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. <laughs> it's it's so great. To Yes, it's so great to have you. You have like this huge lifetime of work and experience that your bio just kind of barely touches on. So I was hoping you could give a short description maybe of the highlights or what your work is so that our listeners have a practical idea of what you've done. Sure, absolutely. So it is a, you know, a a colleague of mine recently called my career eclectic, (laughs) my dean. Um, I actually came late in life to my faith, later in life, so for some standards, so in my early 20s, which, um, and soon after found myself volunteering at Eastern University Center for Organizational Excellence, and this was a ministry focused on developing leaders in Africa and India. That center later went on to become Development Associates International. And so the woman that hired me was Jane Overstreet. And so she and I, and together with two others, um, uh, male professors served in that center. 
So that was my very first experience with Christian ministry and exposure to uh, Christian leadership. Um, when DAI was fully launched as a separate entity, we got a new president Eastern and I, uh, together with Dr. David Black, helped grow what was called the School of Leadership and Development. And that really was my work for about 15, 16, the following 15, 16 years. And as you can tell by the name, it was focused on leadership in the global development sector, which Eastern had had a long history of uh, programs in. And so through relationships and partnerships with organizations like World Vision International and Habitat for Humanity and IJM, early, early in my career, I was exposed to teaching, researching alongside people who served full-time in global development. So I've never been able to separate my thinking about leadership from the very good principles that we learn from community development. Um, I did that work full-time up until about 2015. A couple of events happened and I felt called to move on to one of the NGOs that uh, we had been working with for a number of years. So for three years, then I went and became a leadership director uh, for one of the faith-based NGOs. And then most recently, I'm pleased to say I now serve full-time with Tier Fund USA. And my sole project and focus is helping them to launch and incubate and then eventually spin off to self-sufficiency, the Christian Alliance for Inclusive Development, which is focused on advancing gender development in the faith-based development sector, both here you know, in the Western world and around the world. And, and I can share more as we talk about my experiences with our sisters around the world um, and the challenges they face. So, and later on, we'll get a chance to talk a little bit more about the Alliance. Hey, Beth, wow, what a career. And it's not even over yet. You are doing such <laughs> phenomenal work in your leadership from those of us who stand somewhat at the sidelines uh, can only be filled with hearts of gratitude for all that you do. So. Our next question, Beth, is about the connections you have seen between Christian faith and the flourishing in the humanitarian work that you've done. Yeah, yeah, it's such a good question. Uh, your original, you know, thinking on this is what's the connection between religion and development. And this is one area that I think the secular development world recognizes, but they're not allowed to name it or they don't fully name it. In our world, you know, the way Eastern University, I'll use that as an example, and many good development agencies recognize you cannot separate faith and development because our faith or our religion drives our worldview. Our worldview then affects our self view. And so when you look at um, Jayakumar Christian's work in God of the Empty Handed, he speaks about the marred identity of the poor, we all have some level of marred identity. We all have some level of poverty in us. And so think about it. If you're a person of a different faith that believes that you have to earn your way and it's through your good deeds constantly, um, that's how 
you know, you're going to exhaust yourself, but that's what you bring then to your daily life, trying to be good and recognizing you're never good enough. You know, um, if you are of a faith that's still waiting for, you know, a savior, um, think about that, how that impacts the way you think God sees you today. The uniqueness of Christian faith and why it can't be separated from global development is the message of our Christian faith should be and is, but should be more prominent in our churches and, and in our development organizations, um, the message of grace and freedom. We are created in God's image. There ain't no change in that. I don't care what denomination you're in, you know, we are created in God's image, women and men. We are called for his purposes, whether that is preaching his good news or living out his good news in the water projects we implement and the houses that we implement. And we are equipped for that calling. He doesn't call us to anything that he hasn't equipped us to. Think about how that impacts the way then the poor can understand their role in a kingdom picture, in the global picture. You are not forgotten by the God who has created you. And he has equipped you and called you to be part of that community. So when it comes to the flourishing, those are the fundamental elements that um, Christian faith brings to development. And think about the way that that then just changes the way they engage with their family members the way they engage with communities, the way the church chooses to be active and lived out, live out that message in its community. This is why we see um, correlations between more successful faith-based development initiatives, the positive impact that uh, faith-based development has on the output uh, of development work. So, yeah, I've never been able to separate the two. Part of it because Eastern has always been so brilliant, Eastern University, at integrating faith and global development. And at a cost. You know, 30 years ago when they were preaching that message, Ron Sider, Tony Campolo, they were called heretics, saying that the, the gospel message was purely about salvation and that God really wasn't uh, as worried about whether you have food today for your children or you, whether you have respectful uh, employment that makes you feel positive about yourself and makes you feel like you're a good contributor to society uh, and to your community. So uh, it hasn't always been a popular message. I would say 10, 15 years ago, that paradigm started to change, that we, um, we stopped bifurcating the gospel of words and the gospel of works. Amen. Yeah, they go together. <laughs> yeah. Well, and even Jesus how women is pretty think clear about that. Yeah, even how women think about themselves. If you've spent a lifetime in a church, you know, that um, you've never seen a woman preach, you know, that adage, you can't be what you can't see, or you know, in some subtle and not so subtle ways that your role was always something else than what you felt called to, but you weren't allowed to go that direction, that meta message seeps into everything you understand about yourself. So you do start to understand and think about your life as solely dependent on uh, someone else, um, that you are valued less than a cow 
or yeah. you were valued less than the man in your household or the man in your community. And that self-image, that marred self-image carries itself all the way through what you believe about a life of thriving and whether you deserve it or whether you are just a supporting actor in creating a life of thriving for someone else. Brilliant. Excellent. What clarity. Thank you. I could take that in a lot of different ways. Like it just reminds me, I worked in North India for years and it reminds me a lot of the stories I saw there that just floored me. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I want to ask about your life personally or professionally. Is there anything that shaped your views on power and gender specifically? Yeah. <clears throat> I was thinking about this because it's in some ways, theologically speaking, I've led a very privileged life in that growing up, I grew up in an Episcopal church that was had no problem ordaining women, though I did not see an ordained woman. I came to faith in a, P, a Presbyterian USA, PCUSA church that had a brilliant pastor, Dr. Jim Dorado, who was very good at very clear at exegeting scripture and that you know, that message that women are called to preach the gospel. Women are called to be preachers and leaders and, you know, so, uh, and we eventually did have a part-time, sorry, associate female pastor. So I kind of grew up in that. Then after coming to that faith and being experiencing that, I go to Eastern. Mm -hmm. What is often not talked about is Dr. Roberta Hestinus. She was the president of Eastern University when I first got there. She was the first female president of a Protestant church, um, Protestant university, uh, Christian university in the United States. If I'm not mistaken, I did some research because I saw somebody else posting somebody that came later and I thought, hang on, Roberta was there before, was at Eastern before that. Um, So my first experience in Christian ministry world is under a president, Dr. Roberta Hestinus, a theologian. Yes. There were a couple men on the faculty who were intimidated by her because she she did lead in a very masculine leadership style. But all I remember is seeing the flecks of glass in her hair from the glass ceiling that she had shattered. (laughs) And, you know, you can call her hell on heels. There ain't nothing, you know, hell in a Roberta. She is, you know, pure love of Jesus, love of the church and brought that to her leadership and did amazing things during her 11-year tenure at Eastern University. Really, really put it on a map, you know. So that was my first exposure. Then the woman that hired me was Jane Overstreet. Again, had no reality because Jane Overstreet, Jim Engel, David Frazier, the Center for Organizational Excellence trio, (laughs) are about as egalitarian as it comes, you know, And Jane was our leader, but it was a very different style of leader than what I would have seen perhaps in Roberta. So Jane epitomized, and to this day still does, epitomizes for me the concept of servant leader. She doesn't need to assert herself. She doesn't need to be the first or last person to speak. When she has a challenge with someone, and there were times in our environment that there were some challenging individuals, she didn't call them out publicly. 
first, she prayed for them a lot. And second, I would see her pull them aside privately in, in, in meetings and say, hey, this, this is what you're doing and this is how it sits with me and let's pray together over this. And we saw dramatic change in those individuals over time because of that leadership style. Now, on top of that, she's a lawyer, she's strategy, she's got vision for the globe, as you can see by Development Associates International, expansive growth, et cetera. Um, but that was what I got to see modeled and mentored by in the early part of my career. I, I still, I have a PhD in organizational leadership. To this day, the most prominent leadership lessons I shared share with people and teach with people are the ones I learned from Jane, Jim, and Dave in those early days. You know, <laughs> So you can add decades and decades of fancy wallpaper to your walls. There's still some fundamental stuff that just sticks because it's the stuff of Jesus. It's the stuff that we see Jesus modeled. So wow. uh, yeah, that's that would be my history. More recently today, Mimi, I'm not saying this to suck up to you because I have absolutely no reason to suck up to you. But I got exposed to your work through Ron Sider. Uh, he was bringing Christians for Biblical Equality materials back into our classes. And I you know, was a student of Ron Sider's. Um, and then somewhere along the way, signed up for CBE, et cetera. And I'm reading all this stuff and I'm seeing your picture each time when the article pops up, da, 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 da. And so when Amy first invited me to the Wheaton gathering and I saw that you were going to be there, I have to say it was a little bit of, oh, I'm going to meet Mimi Haddad. <laughs> and again, I'm not talking up. So the reason I say that, number one, the things that your organization produces and that you write are very clear, very relevant, absolutely hit at the heart of the matter. You know, some theologians can write and you get lost in the exegesis of this verse and that verse. And practitioners like me can't go there. You know, we just don't have the time or, um, but your stuff is very clear. Number two, I have watched you doing this work and staying the course for a very long time. And again, my field is leadership. And so I know you have been through the battles and you still go through them. There, there are new battles coming at us in the faith-based ministry world. And I just have a deep, deep respect for that. So I appreciate you as a sister, but I appreciate you as a scholar and a teacher and one who has taught me. Um, and you hear it, I know you hear it when I talk. You can hear some of the lessons that I've learned from your different talks or your different writings or, hey, that was an article in CBE or, you know, so ain't nothing new under the sun, sister. <laughs> well, you are awfully dear to me as well. And I think I would say the same, that your ability to integrate faith and a love of scripture and Jesus and the world's women and the relationships they struggle in has definitely pulled me deeper into a focus on mm. humanitarian work and mm. human thriving as Christians who embrace the equality of women. We'd like to take a short break to highlight CBE's Women in Scripture and Mission. CBE International presents Women in Scripture and Mission, declaring that it was not good for Adam to be alone. God rescued Adam through the creation of Eve. Scripture often calls God a strong rescue, created in God's image. 
Scripture also calls Eve a strong rescue in Genesis 2.18. With Adam and Eve's shared spiritual and physical origins, together they shared in caring for creation. Learn more at RadioWomen.org. What has informed you uh, most, perhaps, about your outlook on the equality and value of women and Christian faith, and why? Yeah. <clears throat> so again, coming from that privileged position of being in an organization that this wasn't an issue, mm-hmm. um, where it started, where I started to get exposed to the realities that there are other ways of being, that there are women out, Christian women out in the ministry world that aren't treated like they're created in God's image, you know, or not valued, was through my students. Um, I tend to be one of those professors who I get deeply in connection with my students. You know, you get somewhere it's hard to get, you know, time to talk to them or they don't know your name or they don't know, you know, the types of programs we ran at Eastern, we broke bread together. We spent weeks living together at these things called residencies. And then you journey together for years. Um, and so I, I tend to get quite deeply immersed in the life of my students because I love them. Not by accident does God put anybody in my path, but by his design. And so I would be holding students as they cried. And these are 30, 40, 50-year-old professional women. These aren't, you know, 18 to 22-year-old, you know, these are grad students um, who are senior leaders in all of our favorite NGOs, and I'm holding them as they cry, as they talk about the sexual harassment, as they talk about their family saying how selfish they are for using funds for grad school and not for, you know, the school fees for, you know, all their distant relatives and and having to make those hard choices. The the threat of um, sexual abuse when they have to hop on the minibike and go out to the village uh, to carry out their work. Or they have to be coming home from a meeting after work hours, you know. So that constant threat that women, that our colleagues, our sisters, these are our sisters, uh, live in around the world um, was the thing that first started to sensitize me. And I was still in my mid-20s, maybe late 20s when all of this was happening. So it sort of set my path on where I was going to focus my work on developing a leadership that would be different and particularly um, pouring into women who have forgotten that they are God's beloved. You know, I still, when I, when I start off my talks in different forums and I say, you know, good afternoon, God's beloved, do you know that you are? And I make them say it, you know, I am God's beloved. And inevitably, there's a handful that tear up mm. because mm. they haven't said it to themselves. They haven't heard it, and they certainly don't feel like it. Right, exactly. And so, yeah. Mm, beautiful. I think I want you to be my professor. <laughs> <laughs> so, I'm full-time with Tear Fund USA, and I am now back officially, as of January 1, a half-time professor at Eastern. I never left. Because right. when you advise dissertations, you're sort of, <laughs> what are those strings called that keep you <laughs> attached? Right. <laughs> the word. Yeah. So, and I love Eastern. 
I love Easton. I know all of its goofiness and its foibles, but I, it's in my DNA. So yeah. absolutely, I've got a PhD program that you're going to love. Come <laughs> join us. But Wow. But the same for our colleagues. Think about that as leaders. Mm -hmm. um, the ability, you know, the number one reason why people love or hate their job is their supervisor. Mm -hmm. yep. We can all be better leaders. As one who has studied it, trust me, people, this ain't rocket science. <laughs> you know, we can all be better leaders when we adopt, you know, the posture of leadership that we see in our Savior Jesus. And I know that sounds so, oh, servant leadership, so over talked about. Yeah, because it's true. You know, <laughs> there's a reason for it being so talked about. But yeah, um, and women in particular in this era need their supervisors to see them, to mentor and coach them, to help them find mentors and find coaches, uh, to give them opportunities to succeed and fail, just as Je Jesus did with his disciples. So we can all be better leaders. Yeah. So I'm going to take it to the next question. And I think it jumps off a bit on what you were talking about, all of these women in your classes and the threats they feel as women in their work and all of these NGOs, just sexual vulnerabilities and so much more. So um, how does your work inform your views on the male-female power dynamics organizationally and on the field? Yeah. You know, I've got my teaching work, but I've got this work that I'm doing now, and it's been one of the most fulfilling eras of my career, I must say. And that's an ironic statement, given that it's still an unrealized <laughs> um, goal that we're aspiring to, to achieve with the Christian Alliance for Inclusive Development. So how does my work inform my views. There are a lot of female, a lot of women's ministries out and about in the world. And that's great. Women need places where they can go and find safe space and, and talk with one another. They struggle with influencing their sector, whatever their sector may be because they're not recognizing that that power dynamic really is a system. And so when you're dealing with a systems problem, you have to take a systems approach to it. So when women want to change the system, it can't just be women. We need to be inviting to our kingdom table, our male allies, of which there are many, some are still in the closet, <laughs> calling them out of the closet, come male ally, don't be afraid to join us at the table. Um, so women and men together, building community, a new community, not being invited to an old power table, but building a new table together. So community for the purpose of collecting our stories, collecting our data to do positive advocacy. But part of that is as we start to make more space for women at leadership tables, we also recognize there's healing that needs to happen. Otherwise, they are bringing their marred and broken selves, angry selves, wounded selves to a table 
only to perpetuate the same cycles. So spiritual formation, spiritual healing, theological, I'm, I'm going to say correcting, and that might offend your, your audience, but there's a lot of people that are walking around with kind of bad theology when it comes to women. <laughs> and so, and again, it's why Christians for Biblical Equality is a seat at the Christian Alliance for Inclusive Development table. We need your decades of experience in helping people rethink their theology. And then last one is equipping. Uh, when the roles are ready, what, what's the kind of equipping that you need? And it doesn't look like what everybody thinks, you know, we need to teach women to be more masculine, to be more directive, to be more top-down command control. No, we need to let women uh, know that God created them with their leadership skills for a reason. And so you just need the confidence to believe in it and step up with it. Okay. So that is in a nutshell, the systems approach that we're taking with the Christian Alliance. Now, let me say just a little bit more about the advocacy piece, um, because this is why the needle isn't moving. Our faith-based development sector informs its work based on the corporate America model. So we are still working on an industrialized business model of effectiveness of bang for the buck, of ROI. And we're failing to recognize that because we're not creating more diverse and welcoming tables, we're leaving half of the valuable resources in our organizations completely out. So we know from secular research, we will have better performing organizations when we have greater gender diversity influencing and leading in the sector. Full stop, we will have better performance. So why isn't that enough to get everybody on the bandwagon? Mm -hmm. So there's two other reasons. One is people are still carrying a bad theology mm -hmm. that believes that somehow women are the secondary idea in God's design and not the primary idea. I am created in his image. I am the face of Jesus. I'm created in his image. And he has called me for this calling of making sure that you will say to this morning when you get up, I am God's beloved, just as I am. And then he's equipped me for that calling. And so that's the second piece, the theological. The third piece is the self-interest. Um, Organizations want to be the best. And so they're measuring themselves against the world. They've got boards that want this return on investment. They don't want to offend their donors. That's a huge one. So why won't you publicly come out and state that our organization believes that women are created in God's image and can be the CEO of World Vision International uh -huh. and can be the CEO of Compassion International? Why aren't we declaring that? And there's a couple of reasons for that. One of them is the self-interest of not wanting to offend donors who still want to believe that that is a, a, a role held only for the men who are created in God's image. And that's just bad theology. It is, right. And man, could you possibly think of a better way of correcting theology by demonstrating it in addition to telling people what the Bible says? Yes. 
Well, and, you know, so stay tuned. Our February webinar, uh, we call it the Welcoming Table Talk for the Christian Alliance. I have six men, two of them are CEOs, who are coming on to tell us um, what, you know, we believe that men's role should be in the Christian Alliance and what role men can play within their organizations, uh, their faith-based ministry organizations to start to move the needle. So the other piece, you know, when I talked about the different reasons why um, this isn't a prominent issue in, in organizations, is the development sector tends to operate on the tyranny of the urgent. So it moves from crisis to crisis, even if it's not a disaster response organization. I've witnessed this over and over and over again with all the agencies that I've consulted with over the years. So there's this belief that creating a more welcoming organization for people of color, for women, is one of those nice-to-haves that Mm. we relegate over to the HR department. Hmm. Rather than recognizing it is a strategic necessity that the executive team must own and see through to fruition. Because the next time your crisis and your disaster hits, when you have a more diverse leadership and more diverse voices, you're going to respond better Uh to that crisis, to that disaster. So you keep kicking the can down the road of having better responses, having better performance because you still think of it as this lovely HR nice to have mm-hmm. rather than strategic essential. And in the book we wrote, we go into all the ways in which it is a strategic essential. I do worry, I do worry for our NGO friends who are still kicking the can down the road because five years from now, 10 years from now, when the workforce is younger and looks very different, All of the millennial generation research um, talks about the kinds of workplaces they want to go join. And I promise you, it is not going to be our faith-based development organizations, no matter how much their heart is for Jesus, no matter how much their heart is for justice. These are not the cultures today that are going to attract the workforce of tomorrow. And we all need to be quite scared about that one. Yeah, could you um, say the name of the book that you were talking about one more time? Because we'll put that in our show notes. Sure, it's our book, Creating Cultures of Belonging, Cultivating Organizations Where Women and Men Thrive. Okay. And my colleague, Ava Salonen-Samard, and I have worked together for many years. She's a senior leader at World Relief. She's brilliant. Um, And so anytime I get to attach my uh, cart to hers, it's a good thing. But we also, both with the Alliance and with this book, it's not a book about women only. It's about if you are a follower of Jesus and you want to see a better world for women and girls and you want to see poverty ended in all its forms, then we need to be having these conversations and then going into our workforces tomorrow and changing things. Right. I um, Yeah. And I, and I endorse the book, so I highly recommend it. It's got, I mean, it's just an incredible uh, account of personal experience and biblical vision. Well, and guess what we found out yesterday? It's an InterVarsity publishing finalist. Yes, yes, I, yes, I saw that. 
good we're not, way we're to not go. very good at the publishing stuff so the fact that it took me three days to open the emails kind of <laughs> Get so listeners, yeah, <laughs> listeners, go look in the show notes. It sounds like a great resource and yeah. something that we're going to want to listen to. Thank you for joining us today. You have just heard the first part of Dr. Birmingham's interview. Her experience and insight were so great, we just couldn't stop. So join us again next month to hear the second half. Meanwhile, stay tuned to the new episodes coming to you weekly from our incredible team of co-hosts who each look at different aspects of egalitarian impact. In the meantime, go to the show notes and learn how you can follow our guests and find links to organizations, books, and resources mentioned in their interview. And be sure to follow CBE International on Facebook and Twitter. Go to their website at www.cbeinternational.org for more content and subscribe to their blog, magazine, and academic journal. Watch videos and listen to audio of past conferences and events and visit their bookstore where you can find talented authors and subjects that will enrich your faith and equip you to use your God-given gifts and talents in leadership and service to the gospel for all regardless of gender, ethnicity, or class. I am Kimberly Dixon with Mimi Haddad, and we would like to thank Landon, our support tech, and the CBE team that makes this podcast possible. We are Mutuality Matters. Thanks for listening. Looking for more information about CBE and our mission for biblical equality? Then please visit cbeinternational.org for more information. And please be sure to tune in each week for new episodes here or wherever else you listen to podcasts.